Welcome into the Yachtson Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your mailbag edition. Don't really know what day it is. Uh, the mailbag's kind of gotten thrown all the way around. Um, various news breaking on certain days have prevented it. We didn't want to do it on other days because we had press conferences that would be leading up to it. And it makes sense for us to wait. So here we are uh, on a Saturday morning for the mailbag. Um, thank you for submitting your questions. Eric probably had a gazillion of them to, to sort through here. A lot to discuss with this Oregon football team. And we're going to talk about a lot of different topics, all Oregon football, as you'd expect, because considering the time of the year. But we're going to go recruiting. We're going to go hires. We're going to go some big picture stuff. I think it'll be a fun show. I think we're going to touch a lot of different things. So let's start with one from at Wadzo2. Thanks for submitting the question. I think this is the first time, um, at least, that we've chosen one from this particular uh, person. The question, which positions will Oregon need to focus their recruiting efforts on after the early signing day? Hashtag Hots and Audibles. Uh, it's a good question. You know, they're, obviously Oregon didn't address too much from an early signing period perspective, mostly defensive guys. And that's kind of to be expected based upon Dan Lanning's background. It's also to be expected because we saw a lot of the players transfer, or I shouldn't say transfer, decommit that we're on offense. So, like, this was kind of what we expected. Offense obviously needs to be addressed. Um, a quarterback is a place to start. You want one every cycle. Oregon currently has three um, on the roster that are all going to be going into their second or third year in the program in 22. Finding another one, I think, makes a ton of sense, especially because depending on how things play out with the ones that are currently on the roster, you could see one of those guys hit the portal after spring, possibly, or maybe even leading up to it, if there's an indication of who will um, be the guy. I think uh, offensively, you want some more offensive linemen. We've already kind of seen some players, um, you know, with Big Solid deciding to go pro. A couple of other players like Kingsley transferred during the middle of the season. Some unproven players that, you know, I think kind of wonder what they're going to provide. Oregon brings back a lot of veteran guys, but you need some young players there. They got Michael Wooten in the fold already, so that's a good start. And then I think wide receiver, which I know we talked about on Thursday. Again, I think Thursday's pod. I think that's when it happened. We spent a little time talking about that position group and kind of how it's been hit with some attrition with transfers and players uh, going pro and, uh, you know, the possibility of maybe more and whatnot. So I think receiver is another spot to keep an eye. I think you get a, a really good group of tight ends, but maybe try to take another one there. Andre Dollar was a commitment all the way up until about signing day when he flipped to Washington State, which, by the way, just a slight – uh, aside strange like washington state literally doesn't use tight ends like kind of okay like that's a weird choice and maybe oregon wasn't inclined to keep him but i just found that and the kids from oklahoma yeah all of that was kind yeah. of such a strange connection a little weird um defensively they've already uh, you know addressed some defensive line i think that's another position group that we we think it needs to be hit they obviously have jaleel tucker at corner but more corners, defensive backs. Like honestly, most of the positions, I guess, is the the long answer. The more I talk, yes. like there's not a position group right now aside from, um, I guess maybe tight end, where I feel like you could, you know, maybe running back too, that you could kind of feel pretty comfortable with your numbers. Like there's a lot of positions to hit. I think still. I think a good question, a good answer to this is maybe just best player available because I Dan Lanning said this uh, that. Uh, on Thursday night, they're not going to just take guys to take guys. Um, and and so it almost maybe comes by default of, is there a four-star receiver or 
uh, a, a promising receiver that's a three-star player. I'm just picking receiver as a position that right. you feel like you would have offered a scholarship if you hadn't already or if you did. And you would you take his commitment back in June or March at that time? Um, or are you in a position where it's like, well, we don't want to just – we're trying to add people and, and – who cares what the stature, you know, what, what how they'd fit in and the likelihood they'd play right away out of Oregon. Um, I think that's going to be a very delicate balance for Lanning and his staff to kind of maneuver here is, are there guys that, that are viable options that haven't signed yet and would improve and upgrade your roster from a depth perspective or maybe from a starting perspective, um, because simply just adding players isn't isn't going to help. Um, I I do agree with the positions that you guys ran through. Um, wide receiver feels like it's an important one. I think linebackers, even though they've they've gotten two linebackers, I feel like you could probably get away with more at that position. Um, it, it just because of the depth that Oregon had to go through this past season with walk-ons and um, safeties having to play linebacker and whatnot. Uh, but I, I think receiver feels like one where you need to find some bodies to be able to give yourself some depth. And my answer is probably the second question, if, if but I'll save that for when we're ready to get there. I think for me, this is a pretty easy answer. I think you need to hit both offensive and defensive line and secondary players. I Oregon's going to have some natural attrition in both of the offensive and defensive line. Um, obviously, Kayvon Thibodeau going to the draft. Popo and Brandon Doyle still have their decisions to make. Um, Oregon also really struggled in the pass rush sans Kayvon Thibodeau this year. And obviously, it didn't help them. Most of their linebacking core was injured and out for the season. But uh, they need to get some dogs in here. They need to get some guys who can rush the passer. Um, for the offensive line, Eric, like you said, a lot of guys are returning, a lot of older guys. Um, but losing out on Kelvin Banks and Cameron Williams really sucks. And that's not, those are two guys who could probably have a long career at Oregon who aren't going to Oregon anymore. Both of them committed to Texas in case you didn't know. Um, so you, you have to re up on some of those. Uh, you're not going to get a five-star offensive lineman again. That's fine, but you need to bring in some guys. Uh, once you hire an offensive line coach, of course, but again, there's still going to be a lot of naturally talented players out there after this signing signing period because there's a lot of limbo in college football. A lot of coaches who still are not proven yet. A lot of staffs that still haven't been hired at big schools. So there's some big names that Dan Lanning and his staff eventually can go hunting. Uh, in terms of the secondary, uh, we've already seen DJ James, or DJ James go to the portal. Uh, that's a big loss for Oregon. Uh, Michael Wright might go to the NFL. That'd be a huge loss for Oregon. And then you're suddenly looking at Dante Manning and Trequas Bridges as your starters, which is fine. They played good last season at points. Um, and then kind of up in the air. You got well, Jaleel Tucker who's, who's coming in. That's the question. And then also that's what, what I'm about, saying, yeah. What even about Verone McKinley? What's he going to do? Yeah, sure. Right. And Jeffrey Bassa, as good as he was playing linebacker, um, he still has to go back to safety. And I'm, I'm not doubting that he can go back and play well. What I am saying is that he has to go and learn that position all over again, which is going to be a struggle. Um, and then, so behind Dante Manning and Triquas Bridges are Avante Dickerson and Darren Barkins, and uh, you still have uh, Jaleel Tucker coming in, but you need some depth there. I thought Oregon's depth at cornerback was tested a lot at points last season, 
Um, and you're hoping that Dante Manning and Triquist Bridges continue to improve on the trajectory that they're going on. But what if they don't? What if they regress? What if teams over the offseason had gone through film and looked at all these guys and been like, okay, we can beat them here and here and here. Um, and you're going to uh, – Jordan Happel's leaving as well. He's a graduate. He's finally – like he's, his, he's gone through all of his years that he can. Um, and so you're going to need to replace him too. And so I think those are easily the three positions of needs. I've talked about this before. I don't anticipate wide receivers being such a huge – uh, recruiting, like an important thing in their recruiting aspects. Um, I think you can find those in our next question, like Matt was referring to in the transfer portal. Um, I think you can find a lot of kids who are quick or speedy or are undersized and run good routes almost anywhere in the country. So I don't think that that's going to be a huge hit for them. Um, I think it goes back to controlling the line of scrimmage and uh, adding depth to where you don't have it. And to me, that's an, at cornerback and the both offensive and defensive line. One note, just before we jump to the next one, um, Landing was pretty noncommittal in terms of numbers in this class, both yep. in terms of he was asked directly about quarterback and wide receiver and how many he thought he needed to carry. He didn't really want to say anything there. And then just in totality of this class, Matt, I think Matt asked that question and, and there was there's, he didn't want to say, I think we're taking 21 or 22, et cetera. So mm-hmm. we don't know entirely what. I guess we don't we don't have a great idea of kind of how he wants the composition of this class to look like, and that's totally fine. And to Matt's point, I, I, I kind of think more I think of it, I do think best available is probably a pretty good approach in part because there are a lot of holes to fill. And Matt, I think Jared did a good job of outlining some. I, I would think receiver would be a spot to at least address a little bit. Um, sure. We'll get to the next point here, the next question. Maybe that's where you address it. But you, you are going to need to add some players to this this team at that, at that spot, in my opinion. All right. Next one from at Hodges underscore Ryan. There has been a lot of talk that Oregon may need to dip into the transfer portal for some guys this year. Is that the case? And what position, sorry, what positions do you see Oregon going into the portal for? Hashtag Autsnotables. Matt, you already said that you had kind of a response to this. I'll just toss it to you right away. Yeah, I, I think this is where I would probably start, or not, maybe not start, but I, I would live in the portal um, if I'm if I'm Oregon during the month of December and try and see who's in there, who fits your, your program, what you're looking for in players. And then after sitting in the portal for, I don't know, 15 days or 20 days, whenever, uh, whatever, how many days it is until the recruiting period opens up again in January, in mid January and, and landing can go out on the road and see kids. Then I would decide, okay, We've hit the portal. These are the options that we have at the high school level. How do they compare against one another? Uh, are there options that we like better at the high school level? Let's go after those players. And then what players do we like in the transfer portal more than the high school prospect? Let's go after those portal players if they already haven't decided yet. Um, I mean, I, I think there's there's tons of options of what you want to do uh, at for basically every position out there, really. Um, I mean, one of the, one of the, if, look, quarterback, let's just look at that position here for a second. Now, I, I think you could argue there needs to be a, a, a look at the quarterback position, especially in the portal. And there's Cameron Ward from Incarnate Word, who's one of the top transfer targets at the quarterback position this season, 47 touchdown passes, 10 interceptions. He threw for 4,600 yards as a sophomore. 
Uh, as a freshman at Incarnate Word, he threw for 24 touchdowns, four interceptions, 2,200 yards. I, look, Oregon has FCS – this is an FCS quarterback. I, I have no idea if Oregon is interested in Cameron Ward. But this is what I'm talking about. You can go out and you can find somebody who maybe hasn't played at, at the Power 5 level or maybe who isn't a full-time starter at the Power 5 level. And you can find that guy. Maybe he's got two years left. Maybe he's got three. Maybe he's only got one. And 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 you want to just find guys that come in and fill a little bit of a gap here until you can get a more a better opportunity to build a full class in 2023. Because I believe this roster is still intact enough where your goal in 2022 is to win 10 games, is to win the Pac-12 North, compete for the Pac-12 championship. I, I think that's all still attainable and you've so you've got an opportunity here to maybe push that window up a little bit higher open it up a little bit more to to, to give yourself a better chance at those goals or did you have anything on this yeah i think i mean i've talked about this before i think the transport is extremely important uh, i think it's important to oregon i think it's important to any program around the country um you know, there's there's a there's perks of, of signing big recruits because they can you can have their eligibility for four to five years uh, compared to the transfer portal where you might only get them for two or maybe even just one. Um, but the thing is that some of these guys, especially nowadays in the transfer portal, are impact players, immediately impactful in your program. And for someone like Dan Lanning, whose class probably isn't going to be the biggest, um, I think it's frankly somewhat of a miracle that he's already signed seven. Um, it's it's probably not going to be a class that's 23, 24, 25. Um, so he's going to need to rely on the transfer portal. And I think he knows that. I think it's pretty self-evident. Um, you know, he's gone through you know, coaching in Georgia where you know, guys are uh, can be four-star recruits and enter the transfer portal because the guys they're going against are three, five-star recruits. And But those are the type of impact players that you can get. Um, and I think Oregon needs to hit that a lot. Uh, I think they need to hit that at quarterback, like Matt said, um, just to have somebody who's – uh, solidified and is a solid player um, because last year, clearly uh, none of the three freshman quarterbacks showed anything where they could give Anthony Brown any type of competition. Um, you saw Washington do it with Michael Penix, who's an Indiana, Indiana transfer quarterback, um, who's been pretty good the last two years, really good in 2020 um, because their freshman quarterback haven't shown anything. And that was part of their downfall this year. Um, I don't mind that for having backup plans. Um, I, that's, really honestly why Anthony Brown was brought to Oregon in the first place as a backup plan, Tyler Shuck. Um, and again, you can hit the secondary market hard there. You can hit both offensive and defensive line. You can hit any market on the transfer portal because there are impactful players. Um, and I think Oregon will do their due diligence and look and, you know, try to get kids to come and commit to Oregon through the portal. Um, the immediate, immediate eligibility is huge. Now you don't have to wait a year. Uh, and that's big for players too, because, they could look at Oregon and be and see a position of need and say, well, I can go there and get immediate playing time. So I might want to do that. And they're a big program now. So uh, I, I think it'll be a huge beneficial factor for Oregon going forward. That's for sure. Not to get too skeezy, but I thought I sure. had here is you're building an assistant coaching staff where a lot of these guys have coached at other schools. So you might have a little bit more of yeah. access, if you know what I mean, in terms of you could, you know, I'm not saying that you go out there and again, tampering is like kind of just. It's like if you come out. with me, you might play. 
I mean, the, like you're for Kenny Dillingham is there a guy or two at Florida State who you at least kind of reach out and say, hey, I'm trying to build this. This is yeah. you need help with. You could come in here and play right away. If you're Matthew Powledge at Baylor, do you have those conversations? Obviously, Tosh Lapoy, another rumored uh, hire they're going to make, does not have in the last year or so at least college experience. He's been in the NFL. The thought I had in terms of, you know, assistant coaches are coming and you're building a staff. Maybe these guys have a little bit more immediate access to some of these players on, on schools they just coached at that can kind of. So you'd be, I have, not to be very negative on, I have zero de- uh, faith that that happens. I mean, that's tampering. Like Oregon. Well, well, I'm not saying, I mean, that, but there's not really any regulation. <laughs> it happens all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if you're not cheating, you're not trying sometimes in college football. Yeah. So, I mean, if, if that's how it's going to be, and I mean, we were all we're all going to sit here. All three of us are going to sit here and believe that Mario Cristobal was never contacted before two weeks before he left. Sure, I'm not I'm not debating that. Yeah, I mean it's just that I, I agree with you, Eric. I've thought about that too, where it's like well, that's, and that's why I said not multiple to players or multiple coaches across easy. the country. Not to get yeah. too easy. It's just a thought that crossed my mind. Of you've got guys you're building a staff around that have access to other schools. I mean, Dan Lanning didn't say he was going to take players from Georgia that are signed or like sure. you know, are there, but he did note that like he is working for what's Georgia best football coach, but he's, right. he's in the best interest of Oregon. And, and that was in reference to unsigned recruits from that. He'd maybe recruited to Georgia. That was a comment he made the other day. So mm-hmm. it's a weird time. I know. I know. And Matt's right. Like, I think it is tampering. Like, what, I'm, what we're talking about is I would say pretty it's easy. It's kind of an unethical thing, but like it's a weird gray area right now that the NCAA has no intention of policing, seemingly. And you kind of wonder if that could kind of help build some of this. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, maybe and maybe that would be something that Dan comes out and says, we're, we're not doing any of that. That's not how we're going to have a much more uh, a different approach. But just a thought I had is you're going to build a staff. A lot of these guys will run on different schools pre- uh, previously, and, and maybe some of them have previous relationships that can kind of aid in building out some of this portal stuff. All right, third one from at M Villarreal twenty six. Can you discuss the significance of the Marshall Malchow hire and what exactly his role will be as chief of staff? Um, this is a new title, as far as I'm concerned. I don't think Oregon has ever had someone with this title. I don't know of many schools in the country that have a chief of staff title on their team. Um, I think it's a unique concept. It's almost like a general manager. Is it, is it a, a comparison mm-hmm. that someone draw of like the head coach now has so many hats to wear and I'm not going to suggest Dan Lanning can't handle it all, but you bring in Marshall Malchow, who is a notable recruiting lead as director of player personnel at Georgia. Now as an associate, I think a- athletic director um, at Texas A&M, you're basically bringing on an extra person to kind of help manage some of the roster stuff um, to, to, to ensure that, you know, that you've vetted the recruits properly. This is like kind of your your top, top guy leading kind of that part of like the player acquisition, the player, the roster management guy. That's why like I just, I saw someone draw the comparison. I forget who it was. Someone on Duck Territory, maybe it was on Twitter. Um, so this being kind of the equivalent of a, a general manager position that Malchow will be running. And, and as Jared, I think, noted and ran through some of the kind of qualifications and, you know, steps he's made to get to this point and sort of some of the accolades he's drawn. This is like a, this is a really big time addition. And I, I like the question just because it is such an uncertainty, right? You see that, you know, you, you say this guy's going to come in and be a co-defensive coordinator on special teams, which is what we think Matthew Pallage will do 
everybody can kind of understand and get their head around like, hey, right. those things that we understand in college football. You say chief of staff, you're thinking like, is he working for uh, like a PR firm? Like what, what's, what's this guy's job? Um, if you guys have anything to add on to that in terms of responsibilities or an understanding of what kind of his titles and, and role will be, I know um, we had Cooper Patagna, who was, I think at one point at Oregon, also at, at Washington, kind of weigh in on some of that. But um, if there's more that you want to kind of communicate that needs to be conveyed, um, if either of you have anything, go ahead. I mean, this is this is a new trend in college football. Um, wrote an interesting article on ESPN about it, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of programs now who are having this kind of chief of staff, general manager feel to their entire program. Um, Georgia has one. Uh, he, uh, this was essentially um, Marshall Mal uh, Malchow's job at Texas A&M. It wasn't necessarily in his title, but that's like I read through a lot of Texas A&M's message board and what their mods had to say, and that seemingly was how he operated there. Um, there's Matt Lindsay at Ole Miss. I mentioned him on the last podcast. Both he and Malchow were um, student interns for the University of Alabama football program in like 2009 and 2010. Um, he's the general manager at Ole Miss. Um, there's a lot of SEC programs that have this, and this is a rather new trend. Um, but then again, uh, paying this much money into your football program for recruiting is also a new trend. Right. Um, and the last few years in the college football playoffs, it's shown, it's statistically proven that you have to have a certain blue chip ratio in order to win the title, at least so far until uh, maybe Cincinnati wins it this year. And then everybody's recruiting ideas go to shit. Oh, excuse me. Family show. Apologies. <laughs> apologies. Um, but I'm in the, I'm in the camp that truly believes that um, recruiting matters. And there's a reason why, the playoffs have been full of Clemsons and Ohio States and Bamas and Georgians. Um, and I think Marshall Malchow gives Oregon a really big hand up. Uh, you look at his career and his accolades that he's done at Georgia. He signed a top five recruiting class every single year from 2016 to 2020. Um, his first year at A&M, they signed the number eight class in the country. This year they have the number one class in the country so far. Um, as the CEO or excuse me, chief of staff or general manager, that position that he is, he puts people in the right places. He puts resources in the right places. He makes connections with the right people. Um, and basically everywhere you read about him, just un, like unparalleled praise for how he is as a person, how he operates. Um, I'm super stoked by this hire in case you couldn't tell by the last two podcasts where I've gone on probably 10 minutes worth of tangents to let everybody know how big this is. Um, but Dan Lanning is not fooling around. Uh, that is clear. And that is a big trend in every single one of his hires is that people who come to Oregon to coach will be able to recruit. And that is it's going to pay off the dividends down the road. Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports is the one that broke this news um, Thursday night. And, on Friday morning, he followed up his tweet with saying he's received a lot of texts, DMs, and phone calls about the hire from people within the industry um, and saying just how impressive of a hire it is. And then provided his own context of that Malchow is one of the most respected people um, in the front office. And that goes with what you guys are saying of GM. And I think that's a correct way to describe this. 
um, the athletic earlier this, I think it was actually like two days before it was um, yesterday. Yeah. It was yesterday guy. morning. They released this article. Yeah. Yeah. He came in at second in, uh, the most important, you know, best personnel people, um, across the country for speaking with college coaches. And th- this is just some of the stuff that some coaches in college football said about him off record. Um, He's a top evaluator, leader in his role, has done it at the highest level at multiple places. Great dude. Another one says they've firmly planted themselves among the best with the caliber of players they have committed this year. But the complete overhaul of the roster from Jimbo Fisher's arrival to now is unbelievable. And that's speaking on what Malchow has been able to do in helping him get there. Excuse me. And then a third person says in the two years he's been there coming from Georgia, they've been able to become a national power in recruiting. The 2021 class they signed and the 2022 class they, they are signing is special. And this 2022 class might be their best recruiting class. Not just – it's number one right now um, for 24-7 sports, but it might be, like, the number one recruiting class ever in college yeah. football. Like, getting and, close. And Malchow's class – and Malchow's role is basically to cultivate contacts, set up visits, do the recruiting – be a, a person that helps in evaluating the talent, build out the strategy that org, that Texas A&M was going to use to put this class together and then execute said strategy. And now he's coming to Oregon. And the, the analogy of a general manager is perfect. It's 100% what he is. And he's going to help oversee Oregon's recruiting. And as you guys have said, this is a monumental hire that is going to probably – resonate for Oregon for a really long time. And now the, the goal is for Oregon, keep him in the HTC building for as long as you possibly can. Just wanted to follow up with something Jared said. Um, he said he's not fooling around. I texted a couple of my buddies trying to explain what this meant yesterday, last couple of days. Um, I use a different word that starts with an F because that's how significant <laughs> I feel like this is. And like, well, this is, Family show, Eric, please. That's why I didn't use the word. Those listening who are old <laughs> enough to understand the term, those who aren't old enough and, and will, will have to ask their parents and we'll have to have a really tough conversation about language. But Sorry, um, parents. Sorry about that, guys. Tough. It's <laughs> a parenting for you guys to work through. Um, I don't think there are many seven-year-olds listening, but if there are, uh, go ask mom and dad about what that means, I guess. Um, all right, next one from at TJ and Tiger. Um, hashtag odds and audibles. What's the expectation for Oregon and Dan Landing in his first year in terms of wins and losses in 2022? Based on what I have seen with the new schedule, I still anticipate the Pac-12 North Championship is easily within grasps. Uh, thoughts? I think this is. A, I, I wanted to. I thought we'd do this just to kind of center. We haven't talked really this kind of conversation yet. There's been so many pieces mm-hmm. sure. in motion so many uncertainties and we haven't really had a moment to sit and kind of talk kind of what we think this means. Not big, big picture because Dan Landing will probably accomplish, you know, the height of his accomplishments will be after 22, but it's kind of like what we think immediately. Um, I will note looking at the schedule, first three games, like those are two really tough opponents. Georgia and BYU. Those are, that's like Georgia will be a top three, top four ranked team. I'd imagine somewhere in that range. I know they lose a lot, but there's the respect of that brand. BYU could be top 12, top 10, somewhere there. I have to go look and see what all of that was mm-hmm. after this year, but that's a program that's, that was right on the cusp, I think, of playing for a, a New Year's Six Bowl. 
Um, those are going to be two very tough games. The BYU game is played at home. Obviously, we know where the Georgia game is played. That's going to make it tough for me to predict more than 10 wins because I could see both of those being losses, if I'm, if I'm being totally honest. I mean, we'll see. There's so much that needs to drop into place for us to really make a firm prediction. I will not be doing a Scopeldamus prediction for the season like this month. I'll probably wait until the dust settles after spring football before putting anything like that out. Um, a look at the conf- but look at the conference schedule. I agree with PJ. I think the Oregon can win the North again. Um, I think it's a pretty favorable schedule. And we haven't really talked schedule. Um, and, and those listening, I'm sure, have seen it. But, you know, there's more road games and home games. But for the most part, like, it's not like they stack elite team after elite team. Probably the scariest part is the back end, the last three games, where they go Washington, Utah, and Oregon State to wrap up the regular season. That's a tough stretch there. We don't know what Washington's going to be. Both those, both Washington and Utah at home, though, is pretty favorable. Right. Schedule you miss USC and Arizona State, who I think are expected to be two of the, I don't know, four best teams in the South. It's kind of hard to see all that's going to play out. I assume you know Utah is the is the undoubted favorite in the South, but USC, Arizona State, UCLA probably make up that next group, and and they're certainly right in the middle of it. And not playing both those teams is a positive. So I think. Yeah, I would say like maybe nine wins in a Pac-12 North championship in the regular season, and, and maybe you can maybe you can knock off the Utes and get some payback in the Pac-12 championship game. But that's kind of where my head is at. This is very preliminary. There's so much that needs to fall out. We don't know who we don't know who's going to be starting at most positions. So we don't know who's going to be coaching yeah. all these positions. Like a lot of it's still up in the air. But just kind of like off the cuff, kind of off my brain, nine nine wins maybe in, in, a, in a division championship doesn't feel totally out of the realm of possibility. The schedule and the non-con makes it hard for me to sit here and say college football playoff, you know, 11, 12 wins kind of thing, regular season, just because Georgia's going to be really tough. And and BYU is, I think, kind of sneaky. One of, this is probably sneakily one of the more difficult non-conference slates they've had in, in a while. I, I think the expectation is to win the Pac-12 North and compete for the Pac-12 championship. Um, and I don't think it's – it's fair yet to say that they need to be the favorites. The expectation is for them to win. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they're I, – actually, I expect them uh, to, to not be the preseason favorite in 2022. Mm-hmm. It also wouldn't surprise me if they ended up going on and winning it. I think they have a roster that you know is good enough to compete and is good enough to win it. Um, they probably won't be the favorites, though, going into the year. And so I, I think it, it then goes to just, hey, win the Pac-12 North. I think 10 wins is certainly a possibility to end the year with. And I think that's a, a important distinction um, because they do play BYU. They do play Georgia in the state of Georgia, but not in Athens. Um, e- even their non-conference game, Eastern Washington, is going to be a tough one. Um, and so I, I, I think – Nine regular season wins, probably a 10, you know, possibility of finishing with 10 is, is probably a good goal. And look, I, I think Brian McClendon said something really important on Thursday was, you know, Oregon this year is playing for an opportunity to win an 11th game. And how many teams in the country have that ability to say that? How many teams mm-hmm. are, are going to be fortunate enough to get to 11 wins? I think 10 is still also kind of that impressive number once you have two digits next to your win column you had a pretty darn good year um and and i think that's kind of the expectation for for oregon is you know get get to 10 wins whatever however possible that is 
Yeah, I mean, just very preliminary. Um, obviously, got the schedule yesterday. Um, just feels like an eight and four, nine and three season. Um, yeah, maybe leaned a little bit more to the eight and four. Um, it's tough at this point to really give a good guess. I was talking about that with my friend this morning, but there's going to be a lot of attrition. We don't know who the coaching staff is. We don't know who's coming in as recruits. There are so many things that you don't know. But just purely based on a schedule standpoint, the first four games of the season are tough. Um, obviously, at a neutral site, quote unquote, um, in Atlanta, Georgia, against Georgia, that's a bad one. Uh, home against BYU, uh, that's that's going to be a tough game too. But again, it's at home, and then at Washington State, uh, we don't really know what Washington State's going to be either. But I still feel like that's going to be a tough game. Yeah, I, um, I do really like the schedule, though. I will clarify. I will you know preface my or. Not really preface. I will clarify my eight and four stance by saying I do really like the schedule because uh, home games against UCLA, Utah, Washington, BYU, like all the hard games on the schedule are going to be at home. And you appreciate that if you're Oregon um, at Washington State, um, at Colorado, at Cal, uh, you end the season at Oregon State. Um, which is a road game, but it's not like you're flying or anything like that. Um, that's a, I, I think it's a pretty favorable schedule. Um, call and uh, at Arizona, like I don't. That's not something I'm necessarily worried about. Um, Colorado's going to be a tough game, but you could be at USC. You could be at Utah again. You could be at Arizona State. Uh, I think there could have been much worse options in terms of. Uh, playing the Pac-12 South in a game. Um, so I think the schedule in general is rather favorable for Oregon, other than the first or two of the first three games of the year. Those would be, you know, probably the hardest non-conference slate that the, the conference has. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's just going off of what we know today at 11.57 Pacific Standard Time, um, eight and four, nine and three. Uh, and that's not a bad thing either, considering what Oregon has gone through this offseason so far. Stanford's the other home conference game, by the way. I mean, you didn't mention Stan- it. Yeah. Just, and that's another, and I that because that's another tough game. I mean, you would say what you want about Stanford. They won three games. Yeah. But they also beat Oregon this year. And they also have right now the best recruiting class in the conference. So um, right. I don't really have. And they get them at home. I was trying to think about this when Matt was saying that maybe Oregon won't be the divisional favorite. I think he's probably right because there's so much uncertainty. But I was trying to think of, like, who who will be, like, it's kind of hard. Maybe Oregon State and Washington State, would probably. I mean, I oh, I was I was saying conference favorite. Like Utah, okay. I think Utah is going to be the favorite. A co- yeah, Utah. We mm-hmm. everyone would agree with that. Divisionally, I was I kind of tough to see. Like I don't know. I think Oregon divisionally will be the favorite. I think Oregon will be preseason number two. Okay, I think that's fair. Um, and I think yeah. they'll probably finish season two. Probably. I don't know. There's so much uncertainty, and there's so much from a other team perspective to get into. So, all right. Um, fifth one here from at Drew Goalie. Drew has been a frequent question asker. Thanks for hanging with us. Appreciate you. Should we be rooting for Georgia to lose in the semi so Lanning can get started with Oregon full time, or for Georgia to win and their defense to show off, show off, and possibly win it all? Hashtag odds and audibles. I like this question. Um, I think there. I, I, I honestly think it's kind of tough to answer because I think both are are viable. Like I don't know if there's a a, a bad answer to this one. Um, I think in terms of furthering the Oregon brand, you probably want him here as soon as possible so he can really put both feet in the pool 
all the, so he can put all the sweat in the bucket while being in Eugene. Sweat in the bucket, by the way, is I think a term we're going to hear from him. A lot. Term. I love it. I love yeah, it. He's already using that one all the time, uh, which I love. Uh, so it kind of, it's always kind of fun. Just a quick aside, just the vernacular different coaches bring to kind of kind of get to see what part of the country they're from and maybe some of the terminology that they use, some of the ways they speak are a little different. Um, I thought sweat in the bucket. I like that one. Pour, pour, pour. Uh, the other thing he said was what, pour, pour sweat in the bucket. We're going to pour a lot. I don't know. We talked about that kind of, that kind of uh, a lot of pouring. I didn't really understand that at first, but maybe you're maybe, yeah, maybe you're sweating into the bucket and then you're taking the sweat and you're pouring it somewhere else. Maybe there's a, maybe it's a two-step process. Who knows? But, uh, <laughs> but my point is like, I, I, I would probably, if I'm picking between the two and I, I actually think they're both like, neither is going to be terrible for Oregon. Cause the second part of if their defense is awesome, you are now have on a national stage, Here's a Dan Lanning led Georgia defense that's so yeah. awesome. He's now at Oregon. Think about how that would impact recruits who are maybe watching games that are on. But I do, personally, I do think it would probably be more beneficial to have him actually on the ground in Eugene a little sooner to get this class kind of figured out. But um, again, I think I think good question from Drew because I think they're both they're both good points. I think there's only so many hours in the day, right? And yeah. the. You know, to, to quote Dan Lanning, he wants to do what's in the best interest of Oregon. Um, the best interest of Oregon is he's working one job, and that's the Oregon job. And so I, I think Oregon is supportive. Um, they want him to win a national championship because how cool. I mean, it's amazing. Like you said, it's amazing marketing to be able to come in and say, hey, a person that won the national championship in 2021 is now our head coach. Um not a lot of people can say that. Two schools, really. Um, and I, I think that is a very critical piece and is something can go a long way. But nothing literally beats Dan Lanning working all 24 hours that he has available to him just for Oregon and not Georgia. I think this is an easy answer for me. Um, I am going to say that I would want to see Dan Lennon continue to win. If you have Georgia's defense go out there and basically win them a national championship, that's the best boat of confidence for an Oregon fan. It's the best way for uh, fans who don't like Oregon to get a little, you know, shaken in their boots type of deal. Um, that's, I, I feel like that is, um, I think that's the easy answer to me. You want to see what this guy does best on the national spotlight. Um, and again, that could go in the really bad way too, because what if Georgia's defense gets lit up in the national spotlight? So, uh, and obviously, it would it would help Oregon as a program to have Dan uh, on campus and in the HGC as soon as he can be. Um, but I do think that that's a, a a thought process that they had to go through in terms of hiring. It's like, well, we might not get this guy until the middle of January, but I think they're going to be okay with that, honestly. Um, uh, just a quick thing. Drew Goalie, you've asked a couple questions on this show. Are you a hockey goalie, lacrosse goalie, soccer goalie? Let me know. Just, you know, shoot me something on Twitter if you're hearing this. Um, you know, former hockey goalie, so we could talk some stuff. But oh. anyways, sorry for my digression. Goalies unite. Goalies unite. All right. Last one here is a fun one from at Goducks WTD forever. Another, I believe, first time asker of questions. At least this is the first time I've chosen a question. Um, how do you feel the Twitter space phenomenon will grow and affect Oregon football and potentially all of sports going forward? Hashtag 
odds and audibles. I, I kind of wanted to take some time to talk about this. I think we'd mentioned it before kind of briefly, how kind of cool this was, um, especially early on um, this week over the weekend and kind of some of the conversations that took place, some of the just big figures in Oregon athletics that were all in one place at once. I mean, I, it was honestly kind of, I don't even know what the right word choice is like pretty, pretty cool. I mean, just like to sit in there and be in a Twitter space, obviously we're not in the same room, but to be listening to Joey Harrington talk, Rob Mullins talk, Dan Lanning's brother before Dan Lanning was hired talk, um, Jeff Schwartz, George Reister, some of these guys who are former Oregon players who are now national names in college football, um, Oregon parents of players, uh, players themselves made a couple of comments. I, what a unique and cool thing. Um, we were sitting in there th throughout. We, you know, yeah. I know we're going to use this going forward as a tool. Um, I, I don't want to give too much away, but probably in the next week, we'll host our first Twitter space. Um, maybe we do want to say a date on the podcast. I don't know, Matt, you can, I'll let you choose. Yeah, Monday at, Monday at noon, well, we're going to do a Twitter space. There you go. Monday at noon. I didn't know if you wanted that out Monday there. At noon. Plan your day accordingly. Um, Plan your day around us again. Yeah. Monday just at noon. Just do that. Yeah. Whatever your schedule is, cancel it. Clear out that noon to one. Clear out that hour. It's going to be fun. Um, no, but like this is this was really cool. And I think I don't know. I don't know who, who the first person I saw say this was, but it's like kind of like old school drive time call in radio show element here where everyone listening gets an opportunity if they want to to raise their hand and ask a question to kind of steer the conversation in one direction. And then you've got and this is we'll, we'll be in the expert chair, you know, on Monday. But the past week or so, you had, you know, George Reister in there, you know, taking questions. Um, you know, Joey Harrington had to address. I don't want to get into the specifics of it because those listening who are diehard fans know what it was about. But had to address a letter he sent to Rob Mullins um, regarding the, the hiring thing, and, and sat in there and, and, and fielded questions too. Achilles Smith was in there as well. Um, I know some people maybe didn't love what Achilles had to say, but I digress. So just like. In general, it's 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 such a unique thing, and I imagine for Oregon athletics, this will be a thing that continues in some some way, shape, or form going forward. And I think there's personally like endless opportunities and options for how you want to approach this in terms of what if you did this for a game and you had basically rather than listening to whoever. I mean, shoot, nobody wants to listen to Rod Gilmore talk about Oregon football. Put that on mute, and now you get to listen to. Maybe, I don't know who's going to do it, but maybe Joey Harrington and Jeff Schwartz want to basically do color commentary, kind of a la what the Manning brothers do for Monday Night Football, where you have kind of almost your own little broadcast here going on, and they're analyzing it. And I don't, I have no knowledge of this is in the works, but these are just things that I've thought of that could be kind of a really cool addition to, you know, how Oregon football is is covered. Um, and, and it's not like, and I will say also say, it's not like just people at Oregon were taking notice of this. I know Josh Pate on his, when I'm a big fan of, late kick, um, but Josh Pate on his podcast, his his YouTube show mentioned this, made note of how cool this was. There were major national media members in there. I, I won't mm -hmm. speak to all of them were, but names that you will have certainly read their work or, or at least follow them on Twitter were in there listening because this was such a cool thing. So I will pass it off to Matt and, and Jared as well because I know they spent quite a bit of time. I know Matt spent more time than I did in there listening. You were, you were into this, Matt, and I totally get it. It was... It was kind of addicting. I didn't know how to get it off. Somebody said it was similar to crack cocaine, which is probably too far of a bridge to crash. But <laughs> <laughs> I've never done, I've never done cocaine. Uh, but thanks for clearing that up, Matt. Proud of you, Matt. 
<laughs> but it, it was very addicting. Uh, and I did tell you guys it was like crack uh, because it, you could not you could not turn yourself away because it literally created um, an, a room where big hitters of different perspectives gave their just opinions and their honest thoughts. I mean, we, we had current players in there. We had um, parents of current players in there. Uh, we had former greats, like you said, in there talking. We had people that were media members that weren't 100% dialed in on just Oregon in there. And then we had just the average fan giving their own opinion. And it was, for the most part, um, cordial. And it never really got out of hand. You know, People didn't really take it too far. It's kind of died down a little bit. But I think it's something that 100% can be implemented. But you made, it cor- you made a correct assumption that, or description of this. It's a tool. And I think that's the biggest thing from our perspective here. We don't get we don't get paid by Twitter. So going to Twitter with the breaking news and sitting in the Twitter space for two hours and just giving out a whole bunch of information, while it can generate interest in our site, it can generate interest in people following all three of us, it can generate you know discussion and you know maybe more followers. Ultimately, it doesn't pay our bills. And so there's gonna have to be, from our perspective at least, some kind of balance where you know, you, you need to be in there. You need to be active in there. You need to give relevant information, but you've got to be able, and this may be peeling too much back of our business, but you've got to be able to convince people that are in the Twitter space to then transition over to duckterritory.com in some capacity, whether that's subscribing or whether that's reading free material. And I think, I think it can be a vehicle to 100% continue the conversation, build the, the conversation um, and it's it's different. It's unique. And I think that's what makes it so cool. Um, and I, I'm curious to see where it goes. I'm curious to see how we can implement it into our coverage, how other sites implement it into their coverage. I mean, I know our Florida State site, they do it every single day. They've got sponsors on it now. Like they do live reads, like you said, Eric, old school talk radio. They do live reads for ads on that. And, and they get upwards of a thousand people a day doing it. And it's just going to be, to me, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And I'm really excited to see just how we can get into it and, and use it and help Duck fan get perspectives that they can't get um, in a normal way. Yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun to go on there and just listen to what people had to say. Um, obviously, listening to former players, current players, um, even other national media members was a lot of fun just to get their true and honest perspective just straight off the top. Um, but it's also a great time for uh, you know listeners of, or, or should be fans and followers of Oregon Athletics, or maybe uh, followers of Georgia Athletics to come in and give their two cents and ask a question to one of the players, ask a question to one of the media members, um, just comment on a situation. Um, I think it's important to give everybody a voice, and something like Twitter Spaces provides a voice for everybody. Um, and I think it's really enlightening. Um, you certainly hear different opinions. You certainly might change your own opinion off of something that you do here. Um, and it's definitely a tool that you can use, just like what Matt's saying. Um, again, Monday, 12 o'clock, revolve your entire day around it. Duck Territory is taking over Twitter spaces. But this is going to be an opportunity to for a lot of people to make a mark. Um, I am a little pessimistic about how long this will last because 
uh, given the fact that Dan Lanning is now hired and everything, the dust is kind of settled. Uh, so has the Twitter spaces dust that is kind of settled as well. And the numbers aren't as, aren't as high as they once were. Um, granted the numbers were ridiculous to begin with. So it's maybe that was a little bit of an outlier in terms of how many people you can actually get to go on. Um, but I liked it. It was fun. Um, I'm sure it'll continue to go. Uh, it's a good, I mean, I've thought about ideas and it's a good place for like a pregame show, something like that. Just hop on, have people ask questions. Um, basically just like a massive AMA, a Q and a, and I think that's it's exactly how it's going to work, but, um, hopefully Twitter can, um, just make it a little nicer, just update it some more, uh, better interface, stuff like that. So it doesn't keep cutting in and out. And, um, and obviously it's a new, it's a new product, so they're going to have to update it, but, um, I'm excited to see where it goes in the future. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin Audible's podcast, Mailbag Edition. Thank you for submitting your questions and getting them to us. Uh, check out duckterritory.com for more information on Oregon football, recruiting, what have you, basketball. Hey, number one team in the country comes to Matthew Nat Arena tonight. You might want to check that out. Um, until we are back, we don't really know when we're going to do another podcast, probably Tuesday, um, maybe Monday, depending on what breaks between now and then. Um, so keep your eyes out for the next podcast. But until then, you've been listening to the Odds Nautilus podcast. Talk to you later, folks. Peace.